Hey, Emily. Hey, Greg. You are in Edmonton. Emma Edmonton, as it were, for the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, hopefully all of the conference final. I mean, there has been some talk about maybe the East starting back in Toronto. I don't know about that. But uh, definitely the West and definitely the Stanley Cup final. So let me ask you first. Like, when we would go to cup the, the playoffs, you go through the airport. It's all decorated. It's all pretty. They've got a bunch of hockey stuff up there to say, hey, by the way, you're here at the playoffs. Is Edmonton gussied up, or is it like on the down low that the playoffs are there? Sorry, sorry, Boot. Um, firstly, I watched a lot of Degrassi Next Gen on my flight on Air Canada, so I am ready. Um, it felt very quiet. Um, this is the first time I've obviously traveled in months. Um, everyone is wearing masks. The customs, I had to just kind of, you know, give them my spiel of why I'm here and where I'm quarantining. And mm. they were still quite confused, had my letters of support from both the NHL and ESPN. Um, but other than that, you would have zero idea the biggest hockey event in the world is going on just miles away, or sorry, kilometers away. Thank you very much. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Well, we look forward to all of your dispatches from the great city of Edmonton, including all of the uh, cuisine uh, recommendations that you've gotten from our listeners. Obviously, a, a, a delivery of northern chicken from what's their what's their um, what's their uh, um, a DoorDash up there? It's like it's got some funny name. It's something with the word skip in it. Like skip, skip the dish, skip, skip, skip something? the dish, I think, which. I don't think I want to skip the dish. I think the reason I'm doing it is to get the dish. To but get the maybe dish. it's just some right. more Canadian humor I've got to uh, acclimate myself to. Exactly. Well, we look forward to all your adventures up there. It's going to be a ton of fun. And uh, on the show this week, also a ton of fun. My goodness. Steve Mayer uh, of the National Hockey League, their chief content officer. Dude is uh, responsible for a lot of the bubble stuff that we've seen. Also, a driving force behind the return of Quest for the Cup on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, this is the program that takes you behind the scenes of the Stanley Cup playoffs, but most importantly, this time around, takes you behind the scenes of all of the stuff that's happened in the bubble, be it bubble life, be it the, uh, the protests against racial injustice. All that stuff's going to be part of the show, too. So good conversation with Steve about where we are and where we're headed, um, and much, much more on this edition of ESPN on Ice. Let's start the show proper, shall we? From the ice to your earbuds, a podcast about hockey, featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. It's ESPN on ice, the podcast for ESPN talks about hockey. I'm Greg Wachinski, senior NHL writer. I'm Emily Kaplan, national NHL reporter. International, as it were, NHL reporter. Well, that's just not redundant. I like when my job title is redundant. I like being the oh. national, national hockey no. league reporter. Right, exactly. It's a bit. And it's not an international hockey league, obviously. I mean, outside no. of Canada. Maybe one day in China. Probably not. Uh, playoff update. We, we have, as we do the podcast, one team that has advanced. That'd be your Tampa Bay Lightning, knocking out the Boston Bruins in five games. Uh, only one of us on the ESPN experts panel, that'd be Don LaGreca, our good friend from ESPN radio had, uh, the lightning winning in five. Obviously you and I both were a little bit surprised by how quick this series went. Were you surprised by the result having seen both of these teams? 
Yeah, I think I was one of the few people at ESPN who even picked the Bruins in the series. Um, I was a doubter about them after, you know, they didn't take the round robin seriously. They were calling the preseason, whatever they were calling it. Um, but they looked really good against the Carolina Hurricanes. And I was like, you know what? This is a team that understands its window. Um, but secondary scoring dried up. Um, I don't think this was a Yaroslav Halak issue. I think, mm -mm. you know, especially in that last game, he played as well as you could have. Um, this was a team that just lost it. They lost their heart. They, they didn't do it. And, you know, credit to Tampa, too, which really feels like on a collision course uh, with a Stanley Cup final this year. They seem to have figured it out. Um, but, man, it was just really hard to watch the end of that game with uh, Doc Emmerich saying, like, this is probably it for Zidane Char. And I'm like, damn, Mike, what do you know? Um, but you listen to his teammates talk about him afterwards. And, you know, this is a guy that's been on year-to-year -year contracts the past couple of years. I wouldn't be shocked if he came back. But it also sure sounds like this is the last we could have saw a big Z in a Boston uniform. And that really means the end of an era. Yeah, man. Like, watching those pressers after they lost, I mean, there, there's always going to be a sense of, like, you know, sadness when you're eliminated from the playoffs, especially if you were the regular season's best team and you had designs on winning a cup and, and everything else. But the, the palpable sense of, of depression that was there mm. for the Bruins after that loss was speaking very much to the idea of, we honestly don't know if we're going to get another crack at this. Everybody's going to be a year older. Tory Krug might not be here. Zidane Chara might not be here. Like, to watch David Krejci do an entire press conference with his hat pulled down to his chin uh, because of how yeah. bummed he was about this was really, really striking. And, and you know, I mean, we've seen teams before kind of face the idea that their windows might be closing. But, man, to read it on the faces and to hear it in the words of the Bruins after that loss was, was really, really striking, I felt. I wrote it in one of our Stanley Cup playoff daily, but it's become a meme now because it was so <laughs> ill taste when it came out. But that NHL created a commercial where it's not a soap opera, it's just hockey. <laughs> but you know what? The Bruins this summer were a soap opera. Everything about this summer was dramatic for them, whether it was David Pasternak not coming back to Boston in time with Andre Kase, Kase and then Misamosa training camp, whether it's Tuka Rask leaving the bubble, and of course his teammates supported him, but of course people in Boston had some other ideas of how they wanted to treat that situation. And now to oust it and believing this is the end of um, it for them, like, that's drama. I'm sorry, drama. Drama I'm here in Canada. Um, and, and I really feel for them because this was a really good team. But I just want to switch gears to Tampa Bay really quick because I feel like Julian Brisbois is not getting enough credit for what he did this offseason. Like, this is a team largely built by him as the assistant and Steve Eiserman. But adding these guys, a Blake Coleman, who's been incredible, taking a flyer on Kevin Shattenkirk, who seems to have found his offensive game again, Zach Bogosian, glow-up of the year, um, is, is playing number one defenseman minutes. Like, this is huge. Huge, yeah. And then on top of that, you also have the Barkley Goudreau acquisition, which, as Pete DeBoer, the Golden Knights, used to coach Goudreau in San Jose, said, like, people bristled at the idea that this guy was worth the amount that the Lightning gave up for him, except for the people that actually knew him and knew how good he was. Um, so that addition, and of course, like Pat Maroon's the other guy too. So, you know, Maroon provided a screen for the game winner um, for, for Tampa to clinch the series. Little plays all over the ice by all those guys that Breezeball bought in. And like, it, it, I gotta give them a ton of credit because we, we've talked about this on the show before. They got curb stomped last year by the Blue Jackets. Like, there's no other way to say it. It was the kind of loss that makes you question your faith as an organization as to what we're doing. But instead of doing the thing that some teams would do, which is to completely, you know, 
dismantle the core or make dramatic changes. They sort of nibbled around the outside. They opened up the hood. They saw what was wrong with the engine. And they said, here are the guy, kinds of players that we need to get us that goal that we weren't getting or get us that stop that we weren't getting against the Blue Jackets, the playoffs. And then beyond that, in a Game 7 against uh, the Capitals and a Game 7 against the Penguins, like the the playoff deficiencies of this Lightning team are legion. And Breezewad did an incredible job identifying what they lacked and what they needed and getting the right pieces in there. So kudos to them, absolutely. Good job. Uh, the other t series that you were on in Toronto uh, was the uh, Islanders and the Flyers, which is continuing on against all odds. <laughs> Very strange. What do you make of this series now? It's a weird one because I felt like the game that the Islanders went up 3-1, um, they were outplayed. Like, that was the Flyers game. But the Islanders are one of the sneaky teams in this playoff that's just been closing things out in the third period. The other one's typically being the Vegas Golden Knights. I say this after a day after they lost. Um, but the depth goaltending that they've got there, the defensive system, and then just enough scoring has made this team really great. That said, we've got the Philadelphia Flyers who, you know, the goaltending is there, I believe, with Carter Hart and Brian Elliott did well in his appearance. Um, but the top end scoring has not been great. Like, I think Ch uh, Chuck Fletcher did such a good job getting, you know, the center depth in the third line and the fourth line, especially because they've been without Nolan Patrick and dotting his lineup with those guys. But we're not seeing production from Claude Giroux or the big names on this lineup at all. Um, and that's troubling. And if they have any chance of advancing, we're recording this on Wednesday. Of course, they play again on Thursday. Those guys need to show up. We'll see what happens there. I mean, that, that series has certainly taken a weird turn. Uh, I still think the Islanders are locked in. Um, I'm really surprised that this actually is now extended series. Um, but uh, depending on health for both teams, we'll see what happens going forward. But the Islanders still look like a, a team that's sort of destined to make the conference final here. And, uh, you know, Tampa versus the Islanders is a beautiful sort of like... If you're looking for the lightning to exercise demons, going up against a defensive stranglehold team as the last step before getting to the cup final is sort of a beautiful thing to beautiful. see. Beautiful. Yeah. That's poetry. That's symmetry. Uh, it's not a soap opera. It's poetry. It's not a soap opera. Uh, Vancouver in the Knights. Uh, this, again, also a series that was interestingly extended uh, to a game six, thanks uh, to Thatcher Demko coming in for a tweaked up uh, Jacob Markstrom. And Demko comes in, plays an incredible game, and uh, pushes the series to a game six. And keep in mind with this series, my God, game six and seven, back to back. I tried to bait Peter DeBoer into talking about his goalie rotation because they've played. Yeah, how'd that go for you? It didn't go well. I made the, I made a I made a rookie mistake because I'm trying to get him to talk about how they've done this rotation of having Laner play one game and, and Flurry the next, or Flurry play one game and Laner the next. And obviously, back-to-back -back games would, would make you think that, you know, one gets one and the other gets the other. My problem was I, I framed it as sort of like, well, if there's a game six and seven, what do you do? And he's like, well, we're not even thinking about a game seven. I'm just like, ah, damn it. You know, I gave him that. It's like handing a guy a parachute in, a, in, a, in, a, in an mm. interview to just, like, jump out of the plane and not answer the question. Um, but let's talk about goalies long-term here. This, this, this series is fascinating. I, I'm still pretty confident Vegas is going to win. Um, full full marks to Vancouver for for hanging as tough as they have and and getting this incredible playoff education for the young core. But you know, let's Markstrom's a UFA, okay? Mm -hmm. He's thirty. 
there's going to be a lot of other goalies in the market, but there's no question that his season and postseason has opened up some eyes to his abilities as a, as a starter. And he did some heavy lifting in the regular yes. season because Vancouver didn't really have themselves figured out defensively for most of the year. Demko is a kid. He's been really meticulously bought along by this franchise to be the guy who eventually inherits the mantle and becomes a starting goaltender. If you are Jim Benning, well, chances are you're overpaying a veteran, but if you are Jim Benning, <laughs> uh, what do you do here with Markstrom knowing that after next season you got to ante up some, some dough for uh, Elias Pettersson and also Quinn Hughes? Yeah, and honestly, I hate saying this because – I love Jacob Markstrom, and I think he's been fantastic in these playoffs. But I think you got to go with Demko, especially in these uncertain financial times. Mm. You you see the way these the team respects both goalies. It's very clear. Markstrom's popular amongst the players, but so is Demko. You know, I love listening to all the guys, and the one thing that keeps coming up with Satcher Demko, he goes to sleep early. He does the <laughs> right things. That was mentioned many times. Uh, you want your goalie in bed, um, but look. He's a second-round pick. You usually don't spend that high on a goalie. They've developed him through their system. He looked fantastic the first time you play him in a playoff game. You better have faith in this guy going forward. And I think if I'm Jim Benning, I'm trying to convince um, Jacob Markstrom, hey, do a little bit of a bridge deal. He's not going to say yes. He's going to say, I want the security. Um, right. And then you got to make that tough decision and say, sorry, kid. sorry, old man, we're going with the kid who goes to bed early. Yeah. And, I mean, the, he's not going to suffer for – courtship i mean like the flames i think are one team carolina's another team there's going to be a lot of teams i keep looking be... at the sabers sabers gotta yeah. go get a goalie yeah and so him laner Corey crawford like there's more than a few guys who can be available on top of the guys that could be available via trade like freddie anderson for example so fascinating situation you who else there. can be available by a trade who that someone in columbus yarmouth's gonna get scoring help he's, he's setting one of those goalies away yeah probably lose one of them in the expansion draft anyway so it's a good point. Yeah. Well, um, I don't think Elvis is eligible. Oh, well, then then keep him. Why not keep both? Yeah. They got a good thing going. Um, finally, Dallas and, Col and Colorado. Man, what a weird-ass series this is. So you get, <laughs> you get two goalies hurt in Colorado, and Michael Hutchinson plays the end of game, um, game four into game five, wins game five as Colorado just – just absolutely destroys Dallas. In the, like, Dallas destroyed Colorado in the first period of Game 4, and we're like, oh, my God, look at that, 3 nothing. And then Colorado hangs five goals on Dallas. Um, Dallas starts Ben Bishop. He gets chased. They're trying to give Anton Kudobin the night off. He's got to play the full game. Who even knows what's happening with this game? By the time you listen to this podcast, the game will probably be uh, underway or have been played. But just a wild series. Um, I guess we should just put it on the line. Game seven in this series? And and if we're wrong, we're wrong? If there is a game seven, I'm picking the Avs because that means they're coming in hot. Mm. I, I I mean, these are going to be exposed old takes because, as you said, people have known what happened, but kind of believe in them right now. I think yeah. that they just weren't playing their game. They're a better team than that. And as fantastic as Dallas looked offensively for the past couple weeks, I don't think it's sustainable for them. And to tie a bow around this conversation, it kind of comes back to what we were talking about with Tampa, which is that Dallas, after losing in a Game 7 last mm. season, went out and said, we are going to import the playoff acumen of Joe Pavelski, the playoff acumen of Corey Perry, and kind of bring a couple of these, these elements of, here's how you're supposed to play to win in the playoffs into our room to teach the guys who don't know how to win 
in the in the postseason uh, what to do. And so this is going to be real proof of concept, you know, to bring those guys in. You can't bring those guys in and blow a three one lead against a Colorado team that's all kinds of banged up. Um, so we'll see see if Jim. It could be you know, it could be kind of Jim Nill's last stand here if they don't pull through the series, but it remains to be seen. All right. Quest for the Cup is back on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, the debut episode is September 2nd, uh, which means it'll be up on Plus by the time you hear this podcast. Uh, really looking forward to it. The series is always very good, and uh, they have multitudes of things to include in the series, including a lot of the behind-the-scenes bubble stuff. We get into that with Mare and a lot more about the bubble and about next season uh, with a really important uh, guy behind the scenes of the NHL. Joining us now on the line is NHL content guru, the mastermind behind the bubbles and everything you're seeing and hearing on these TV stations you're watching. Uh, Steve Mayer uh, joins us now on ESPN on Ice, uh, joins us again, uh, a return guest for us. And Steve, let's start off with uh, Quest for the Cup, which is returning to ESPN Plus um, this month. And uh, boy, I got to tell you, man. You know, it's like when you see a really good movie trailer and you're just like, when is this when is this hitting theaters? The trailer for Quest for the Cup with all of the Black Lives Matter stuff and bubble life and the action on the ice, it's incredible. How can you take us into how this show is possibly balancing all of the different sort of narratives that have come out of bubble life in the NHL? So first of all, uh, hi, Greg. Hi, Emily. And, and yeah, I mean, listen, uh, this was going to be, I think we all knew, uh, a unique show uh, no matter what. Uh, and then with the events of last week and, you know, the continued life in the bubble, I mean, it's just is so different than it's ever been before. You know, there's, there's something unique about the show every year because, you know, to, to take – a deep look inside a quest for the Stanley cup, you know, and, and, and to get that access at the most meaningful time of the year in any sport is super cool. But this year, uh, you know, just because it's so different and so unique and I think as meaningful, uh, you know, we're, we're really able to follow a, a lot of different storylines. And then obviously what, what happened last week and, and it just ha- so happens, you know, on the first week of our, our program, you know, does add to, to what I think is a, 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 like a wow fast first show. It moves so fast, uh, so much in it. We do cover, you know, what's it like to be inside the bubble. But, you know, we do cover two days of, of missing hockey and players reflecting and and then our return, you know, the the episode actually ends with Vegas returning back to the ice. It follows Ryan Reeves through those two days. It, it talks and follows about the the discussion that the players had to postpone. Uh, you know, all of this in part of one episode, thirty minutes. Yeah, it's a good first episode for sure. Well, Steve, you're in the bubble. You're one of the people that created the bubble. You're seeing a lot, um, but you're not following these players around all day like these cameras are. So what are some of the the footage that you've seen so far? You're like, wow, I didn't realize that that's what players are doing right now or X or Y. And maybe it was some of those conversations the guys were having about wanting to suspend for two days um, to join the other leagues in protests of racial injustices. Yeah, no, you know what? Um, it's funny because I'm in Edmonton. And there's obviously another bubble in Toronto, 
And there's a really great piece with the Travises from, from Philadelphia connecting in Sandheim. And they take us inside the Toronto bubble. And I have to admit, um, seeing it from their point of view and, and getting that tour, uh, you know, is super interesting for me. Um, I, I did not and have not been in Toronto for the bubble. I, I've heard things. There's a healthy competition going between the Toronto bubble and the Edmonton <laughs> bubble. Uh, but, that, I mean, those guys look like they were having a great time. I, I mean, I, you know, and, and listen, it's a long time in one place. You know, I, I've said this before, but you can go to the nicest resort in the world, and when you're there for 50 days, you know, after a while, you're, you're looking around for things to do. Uh, but those guys gave a tour in, you know, between the tennis courts and the squash courts and the swimming pool, things that we don't have in Edmonton. Uh, you know, that was something that I took from the show as being pretty unique. Uh, listen, the players, it's amazing how they, they make their own time. They, they find things to do. They have their, their groups that they hang out with, eat with. You know, they love their video games. There are enough activities to keep them busy. And then they figure out ways to, you know, also keep busy. But in the end of the day, I mean, they're going for a cup. Uh, Ryan Reeves, he's in, he actually says this, is, you know, he understood and, and, and certainly was the leader in, in the decision-making process, you know, to take those two days off. But he also says in the episode that, hey, we're all here in the bubble for a reason. And in the end of the day, you know, we want to win the cup. And it's what drives us every single day to get to the end. And I think it's what's driving all of us. I mean, we're all here. We've all made incredible sacrifices being away from our families. But in the end of the day, we all want to get to the end. You know, that was my goal. I, you know, I said it. Things have gone really well here, but it, it's not over until it's over. And we've still got, you know, two rounds to go before we lift the cup. And only then will we be you know, extremely happy with the way things went as we returned to play. Yeah, I think Gary Bettman said that's that's the moment he'll exhale for the first time in like uh, yeah. five months is when yeah. he hands out the cup. Hey, you mentioned the uh, the situation for the last uh, the, 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 the two days we had uh, paused without hockey. Um, everything that we've seen was that it was very players driven. Uh, you know, Kevin Chattenkirk texting Reeves, Reeves having conversations with the Canucks. Um, everything that happened behind the scenes and with those conversations. Can you take us through how we went from the players kind of having those conversations to you and the league kind of giving them that platform where we got to see like the entirety of the Western Conference standing behind Reeves and Belmare and those guys? Yeah, listen, you know, and if I were to say anything other than everything happened naturally, you know, I'd be lying. We, you know, we, we sat outside um, the locker room area and we're just getting reports of the discussions that were going on with all the players. Um, obviously there were calls with the HDA, um, all that that's been reported, I, I feel seems exactly a, a, as it all happened. You know, our, our interest was to do what the players wanted to do. We respected it from day one. We, we, we certainly didn't drive the decision, but at the same time we supported it 1 billion percent. And, you know, we, we wanted, after um, they made their decision, to, to give them the proper forum to speak on behalf of, you know, their teams and their, you know, their, their, their respective points of view. 
And what happened in the West was just natural. Um, they all decided, all four teams, that the best way to represent what was going on and the decision that they made was to all come out together. Uh, it was extremely powerful. And, you know, uh, and, and, you know, it really did show me a, a lot about, you know, these hockey players and what they stand for and how they bond, you know, off the ice. I mean, when they're on the ice, it's, you know, it's go as hard as you can and your opponent is your opponent. But, you know, that was something special. And then to watch the two days, you know, my fear was that, you know, hey, it's time off and let's go do this and that. And, you know, you saw a lot of guys getting together um, in groups, a lot of discussion. A lot of it was behind the scenes. But, you know, what we saw was really, I thought, powerful. And, you know, the guys obviously took those days to listen, to understand better, you know, the, the events and, and what's going on in the world. And, again, we, we just supported it. Um, you know, for us, it was, you know, just to, to get things ready for when they were to come back was also important. Uh, and now we're back to, you know, I'm never going to say normal because it's, it's by no means normal. Mm. But at the same time, you know, we, we certainly respected what the players were going to do and, and supported their decision whether they played or they didn't play. We saw, you know, some things early in the tournament with you guys giving Matt Dumba the platform to make a speech, um, you know, the end racism signs on the Jumbotron. Do you guys have anything else planned for the rest of the tournament to let these guys keep spreading this message if it's important to them? Yeah, I, listen, we've always said and, and we had, you know, discussions with Matt when he was in the bubble and, and many others, you know, um, that, you know, we want to we want to take action like this was a little about. You know, there, there had been a period of time of listening and emotions and, you know, and, and sort of not really understanding what the next steps were going to be. And, you know, when we got to the bubble and, you know, my initial discussions with Matt were all about, you know, it is time to take action and like to start doing things. And I think what you're hearing from the players and from us at the league is, you know, our, our interest is to start putting some things in place that, you know, are meaningful and are action steps. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so do we have anything planned? No, uh, except for, you know, our interest to, to continue to put out meaningful content, you know, wherever we can um, and, and, you know, let our players have, have their voice. Um, you know, one of the things that's important as long as we're playing, you know, players have microphones in front of them players are talking to each other, you know, we respect that. Um, you know, I, I think we, we have other things planned, um, you know, as we get to the conference final and the final in terms of the way we're presenting the game. And we've always said that we're going to grow this day by day, minute by minute. We're going to add some things that I think are, are cool and interesting, nothing to do with the, the issues per se, but a lot to do with the presentation uh, you know, again, trying to keep growing, keep making this better and better for our fans, a little more exciting as we get now all four teams in, in the bubble and try to finish this out. So, you know, those are the kind of things that we're thinking about right now. Makes sense. A couple more for you real quick. Uh, on bubble life, you know, we, we, I remember us talking a few months ago. It's like a giant buffet you're giving these guys, right? And then as, as the buffet is being uh, served every day, 
you start to see uh, maybe they're not eating the green beans, you know, so you get rid of the green beans. What are, what are some of the edits that you've had to make behind the scenes, if any, as far as what you thought the players would be into and maybe they, they, they weren't into it or maybe they're into something that you didn't anticipate and you needed to do more of it? Well, the green beans had to go. I mean, they were terrible. <laughs> no, listen, I, I think, uh, you know, we've learned along the way, uh, you know, in, in Edmonton, for instance, and, and it, it, just uh, one thing to t- step back. I, I, every single thing that we do has had to have, like, multiple layers. And I, and I, I think people understand it, but, you know, it, it's something that it's hard to describe if we want to go to play golf, for instance, and everybody's like, oh, they're playing golf. Yeah, it's so difficult to, mm-hmm. to make that happen. Um, you have to have an exclusive course with no one else on it. You have to deep clean the carts, the clubs. You have to test everybody that works at the golf club. I mean, these are not immediate decisions, uh, you know, Joe Sackett can't come up to me the night before and say, hey, tomorrow morning, can I go play golf? It is not (laughs) as simple as that. And so, you know, we're trying our best to give some excursions. You know, in Alberta, the health officials are a little more lenient than in Ontario. Um, You know, all of this has to be written up, proposals, uh, put in front of boards. I mean, everything's been, been, been difficult. So in, in Toronto, there's outdoor areas. We had BMO Field in Edmonton. We tried very hard to add certain pieces that have given the guys a little more outside space. Um, we, we now have our, our stadium as well in Edmonton, Commonwealth Stadium, that's open every day. That's exclusive to us. Um, those are the kind of things that we learned along the way. We wanted to give them more options, more interest to get outside of the bubble, but it's inside the bubble. Um, you know, but I do think inside, you know, we, we've added and changed menus at restaurants. We've, you know, tried to do our best with adding activities here and there. We've also found that, you know, there are certain teams that love their team lounge and others have never been in their team lounge. You know, so those are the kind of things team by team also that we've understood a little better as we've gone along. And now we're going to get two teams from the east coming west. And we have to learn a little about what their likes and what their dislikes are. Um, you know, it's been a learning process. It certainly has. Uh, you know, it hasn't been perfect. Um, we, we think it's been good. Uh, but it, it's a long stretch. I mean, it's been, you know, I got to Edmonton July 14th. Uh, the teams arrived on July 26th. So, you know, going from July all the way till the end of September – that's a long time in, in one place, and we're try, just trying to do the best we can every single day. Mm. I'm curious about tweaks you've made with the on-ice presentation. You know, so much was made about how this is going to look different. You know, early on we were talking about the storylines of maybe goalies not having the sight lines that they're used to. Like, did you get any feedback from them? Did you make, have to make any tweaks with the camera angles because broadcasters are like, you know what, fans are just not digging this? No, I mean, and I'll be honest with you that um, the, the comments have been unbelievably positive, at least to me. Um, you guys might have heard otherwise. Um, the players have never said a real word about sight lines or lights bothering. We had one, one time where we came back from a commercial break and the lights were going in the arena, and it was an operator error where 
puck was dropped and lights were still going. And, and one of the goalies said, you know, you guys, you can't do that again. And that was one game, one moment, one time. So that piece has not been an issue. I think the players have really responded well to the audio in the arena. And, Emily, you're going to hear it. It's pretty cool. I mean, I, I <laughs> sometimes I, I'm, like, sitting there going, well, like, are there really fans here? It it's actually feels so real inside the arena. Um, you know, the music is pumping, and there's, there is an energy in the arena that I do feel is pretty unique, uh, obviously so different than if there were real fans there. But, um, no, we, we haven't heard much. Obviously, from the television standpoint, on a daily basis, we're tweaking and moving things around a little bit. Um, you know, I think there are subtle changes, but I do think that they've helped the broadcast. And now coming into these conference finals and the finals, NBC and Rogers are doing side-by-side broadcasts. It'll mm-hmm. be interesting coordinating all the screens. Uh, we're going to add virtual uh, to the environment starting in the next round. So there's going to be that that I think will make things really interesting with live stats and real-time stats. Um, nice. You know, so and then, you know, from a presentation standpoint, in the finals, we're going to have popular artists singing anthems. But, you know, one of the things I did want to do is bring in real live music. I mean, I, I think we are in the point, you know, and, and we may bring families in. We're still uh, there's some health officials that need to, to sign off on that. And that's an ongoing process. But I think everybody, including the players, would say the same thing. You know, we want to keep this as risk-free as possible. We've gotten to this point. It's been successful. No positive tests, which, knock on wood, you know, just a, a, a small miracle. And, and it's really important that right now, the more we add to this environment, the more we add risk. And risk in this, in this day and age, in this world, is not a good thing. And that's one of the things I think that we've done a great job of in terms of keeping people safe. And so, you know, I think we're at a point right now where we, we really just want to get to the point where Gary Bettman is handing the captain of the winning team the cup. And, you know, and, and then, as Gary says, we exhale. Yeah. Uh, last one for me. Uh, you are not only the guy behind the bubbles uh, and all of the things that we've seen in the last uh, over a month here. But you're also the guy that's in charge of thinking towards next season's big events. And I was wondering, has has there been any groundwork done, any plans in place for a potential winter classic? Uh, I know a lot depends on when we start the season, but there has been some speculation. It could be the thing that does kick off next season in some ways. Yeah, so first of all, I'll say two things. One, hey, listen, it's great, and I thank you for the credit, but what a team that we have. And i I got to mention them, Greg and Emily. I mean – I work with the greatest people in the whole world. These people are, are unbelievable. The sacrifices they made, they're the best in the business, and, and they're the reason why this is all working. I, I just happen to do an interview every once in a while. That being said, yeah, listen, we, we have, have done a lot of work on, on the outdoor versions of um, the Winter Classic, the Stadium Series, an all-star game. In fact, my last trip – that I took uh, right before we shut it down. I was in Florida uh, with all-star meetings, and we were talking about shutting down Fort Lauderdale Beach, and we were, we were going to have a huge all-star party on the beach. I mean, that was the plan. Wow. 
and and literally like we we that's the that's the last trip so we've done a lot of work uh uniforms uh you know been to target field you know three or four times we had been down to carolina in fact we got caught once that we when we were down there and that's where it <laughs> <Rome> started <laughs> i mean that wasn't good uh, but listen, we, we've done a lot of legwork uh, on all these games, and uh, but and we have not canceled anything, as you know. Um, you know, are we are are we hopeful? Yeah, we're hopeful. Are we realistic? Yeah, we're also being realistic. Um, you know, December first is the date that our commissioner has said. You know, we're looking to come back. Uh, I, I don't know. We we have had brief discussions, and I'm not kidding you, brief discussions about next year. We haven't really got into the, hey, what's it going to be? I think we all want to get through this, and then we'll probably sit down very soon after. Um, But, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of scenarios. I mean, listen, no one more than me wants to get back to normal and Mm -hmm. play in those stadiums and have our fans all back. Is that realistic? I mean, you, you tell me. I mean, right now, it doesn't feel that way for January. But, you know, we're keeping things alive. But we are, we are really prepared. I mean, we joked about it. You know, we, we probably would have made two or three more trips to each of those places. But there was a lot of prep that had already gone in mm. to playing those outdoor games. So we'll see. I mean, it's not a bad idea, Greg. You're always, you know, you're always coming up with good ones. That's a good one. Um, oh, that's that's just then, that's it, it, speculation from elsewhere. That ain't me. <laughs> oh, well, you know, I'll give you, you know, listen, there, there's a lot of things that we're thinking about, you know, in terms of next year and, and doing special events. I mean, you know, that's one of the things that we've become pretty well known for. We love doing those events, you know, but it, it is different, you know, if you had fans or if you didn't. And so let's see again, you know, where we where we are. Um Every week, it seems like things are changing. Uh, and, and, and admittedly, we're going to watch what the NFL's doing. Uh, we are. Um, mm-hmm. Let's see how that progresses. And if they you know, put more and more people each week into those venues, we'll see. Steve, we so appreciate your time. We know you've got nothing else going on the last couple of weeks. So, you know, <laughs> we could have had you any time. Uh, but it's we always good. get some insight talking to you. Uh, remind our listeners where they can watch uh, Quest for the Stanley Cup. Well, um, you know, uh, you can you go to, right to ESPN2. Uh, uh, ESPN2. ESPN Plus, excuse uh, yeah. me. ESPN Plus. Uh, you know, starts the first episode is out on at six o'clock on September second, and then there'll be an episode released every single week, the ninth, the sixteenth, the twenty third, the thirtieth, and then October seventh is the episode that will have the the cup lifted and whatever happens afterwards. Uh, you also could go to youtube.com backslash NHL to watch it as well. Uh, you know, again, I, I think it's a great show, and uh, and this year so different, so different. So we hope that everybody tunes in and gets ESPN+. Plus. Awesome. Yeah, it's going to be a, a banger. And the show's already pretty good, but this is going to be the most unique version of it for sure. Steve, thank you so much for your time, man. You've been super generous with us today, and uh, we'll talk to you down the line. A pleasure. Thanks, as always. And, uh, you know, appreciate you guys supporting us. And, and uh, enjoy the rest of the playoffs.
Our thanks to Steve Mayer and uh, the NHL for giving us Steve Mayer um, to talk to. It's always a good thing. Um, we got into it a little bit with him towards the end of the conversation about the 2020-21 season. Uh, if you didn't see it, Emily and I had a real comprehensive look on Tuesday on ESPN.com about what we're hearing regarding next season, talking to a bunch of team executives and league executives uh, on background in some cases to kind of get a sense of where they are. And so in your reporting on this, what did you learn about the 2020-21 season that you might not have known before? It's very clear that the NHL is so focused on getting this tournament going that they're saying their company line is we haven't planned anything for next season yet. It's too premature. I do think they're taking the similar approach that they did with this tournament, which is let's wait until the last minute possible. Exercise patience because this is something that's rapidly changing and we don't want to be pigeonholed into making a decision in August for something that's going to happen in December or January. That said, all of these teams have to prepare. It's not like they can you know, be told, hey, November 29th, you're playing December 30th. Go tell your fans to get in the stands. Um, so that's interesting to me. Something that you and I have kind of said in confidence and have heard, you know, whispers of, but I finally got it on the record from a pretty high up team executive is I think everybody realizes 82 games is just not happening next season. That's a pipe dream. It's going to be a shortened season. Gary Bettman has said he doesn't want to disrupt um, the regular schedule too much. So they want to restore some normalcy. Um, so starting in December or January and trying to do 82 games, we're going to be going late again. And then the 2021 season, which is super important because it ushers in that new TV contract in the U.S. plus Seattle. Um, that is really what they should be eyeing of trying to start that on time. Yeah. And, you know, kind of reading between the lines and some of the things Bill Daly has said recently, uh, deputy commissioner of the NHL, you know, he's, he's kind of hinted at the format for next season. And that, that could just mean... Mm-hmm number of games that could mean a lot of things but it could also mean that you know the nhl is being pretty open-minded about how they're going to play next season with regard to potential realignment and things like that on a temporary basis to uh, deal with some of the things they're dealing with like for example travel restrictions um i was surprised to find out that even though there has been a lot of pushback and a lot of denial about john shannon's report about the nhl and the nhlpa discussing the the possibility of playing in bubbles next year that at least one executive thinks it's a possibility. Now, not the full season. There's no point in that. They're not. I mean, they're just. It's too, too much money for too little return to try to do like a full season in the bubbles. Even though you know. Plus, they're they not can, getting signed off from the players. Right. They're not. Not at all. I mean, there's just no way they're getting signed off from the players. A lot of this is like you know, kind of arguments in in a vacuum. But I did find it interesting that like if the NHL wanted to play 82 games, and they also wanted to have fans in the arena. And the only way that they think they're getting fans in the arena in a significant way is if they wait out COVID, potentially get closer to a vaccine. Then maybe the way you go is you open in the bubble and you play a similar schedule to what we have now for, say, like two or three weeks and just load up on a bunch of games playing every day, all day long. And then by the time you're done, you got a bunch of games banked and you're a little bit deeper into the spring when the expectation is we might have a vaccine. So I'm, I'm really intrigued by, by that idea. I don't know if it's feasible because, like you said, the players being stuck back in the bubble doesn't really make, make you all that encouraged that it's going to be a possibility. Um, but I thought that was an interesting take as well. What did you think about uh, as far as getting fans back in the arenas next season? Man, it's going to be tough. Um, you know, I think we're in a situation that is 
one thing, and you heard Steve Mayer to say it on that conversation, and we've heard Bill Daly say it, we've heard many team executives say it, the NHL is watching what the NFL does. Like, that mm-hmm. is a really big benchmark for them saying, how do they, you know, manage the situation? What we've seen in the NFL right now is it's jurisdiction by jurisdiction, team by team, how many fans get to come in based off of, you know, their comfort level as well as their local health authorities and governments. And it, to me, seems like that would be the route the NHL is trending. The only caveat there is we all know the NHL is obsessed with parity more than anything <laughs> else in the world. So maybe they would try to create some kind of blanket policy for everyone. But, you know, I talked to Scott Housen, who's the now, you know, commissioner slash president of the AHL. He came from the NHL as his first year. And he pretty much said the economics for them don't make sense at all without fans. Like, they need fans in the game. Right. They don't have the TV deal that NHL has. And so for them, it's definitely going to be, hey, if in one city you can do 25% and another you can do 75%, that's what we're going to do. Scott Housen also brought up a lot of good points about uh, the relationships between the leagues. Um, if this border stays closed, and like it seems kind of wild saying that, but we also haven't seen uh, anything change recently, it's going to be a big hassle for the NHL and for call-ups. Um, there are NHL teams, two of them, that have their AHL affiliate in the U.S., um, as well as just playing games there. Yeah, for sure. Last thing for me that that was a takeaway, and I know it's been a takeaway for a lot of people that read the story, and thanks to everybody who did. Uh, season ticket stuff, fascinating. Mm. Like these are the most diehard of diehard fans. These are the big corporations that buy tickets every season. This is a lifeblood situation for these teams, as insofar as who they can count on year after year to provide provide them revenue. And if you're only dealing with twenty five percent capacity for some of these games. Teams are already looking at the idea of rotating their season tickets around, you know, you go to one out of four games. And what a conundrum that is if you're like the Rangers, let's say, and you're like, mm-hmm. all right, so everybody wants to come see the Islander games. Everybody wants to come see the Flyer games. Everybody wants to come see the Devil games. Oh, by the way, we also have to figure out how many Friday night and Saturday night games you get and Sunday afternoon, on and on and on. Like, it is a real puzzle you got to piece together on how to satisfy your arguably your most important customers um so that's something that i'm, I'm kind of uh, obsessed with as to how they're going to handle that next season as well but it's good stuff you can check out that story on uh, espn.com really good uh digging by by both of us and uh, we think you'll dig it too um reader mail start off with blues fan 1972 so just missed out on their uh <laughs> Their expansion uh, era Stanley Cup appearances when they just got throttled by Montreal a couple times. Uh, What is Montreal doing spending over $14 million a season on goaltending? So Blues fan 72 still taking the Habs out with this question. But this is in reference to the big trade this week. Jake Allen going from the Blues to the Canadiens taking his uh, $4 plus million cap hit with him to help them potentially make a run to uh, re-sign Alec Pietrangelo. But Emily, $14 million plus on goaltending for the Montreal Canadiens. What say you? Uh, what say me that the reader could have just asked their question, what is Montreal doing? And we would have had a lot to discuss. <laughs> it's Mark Bergevin's world. We're all just living in it. Um, no, I, I honestly think that he looked at this playoffs and said, this is our strength. This is how we're going to win games. We've got a good defensive structure. Carey Price is great. He's getting up there in age. Um, I've seen all these teams with two goaltenders, and I want that too. That, that's what I see. I don't think the price was too high in terms of high. It was only a third-round pick. 
Um, the cap hit sure is high, but um, sounds like they're going to have some maneuvering this summer because Max Domi changing agents from Pat Brisson, yeah. a.k.a. Mark Bergevin's good friend, uh, to Darren Ferris. Sounds like he's on his way out. Could be. And and again, like like you said, they could absorb that hit for Allen for a year. He is a UFA next se- after this season coming up, so it's going to be a temporary thing. And, and again, like Carey Price played upwards of 83% of their games this year. His backup goalies had around an 889 save percentage, I think. So this is one of those deals where it's like you, you feel like, A, at his age, he should be able to get a break occasionally, and B, the Habs, much like with the uh, Vegas Robin Lander thing, had absolutely no uh, confidence in their backups, although I don't think that we should worry about Jake Allen taking Carey Price's job like Lander did Marc-Andre Fleury in Vegas. Zach Mack wants to know why the lack of Game 7s this year, Emily? You know, there's a theory that's kind of being bandied about that um, bubble syndrome, right? These guys, <laughs> it's such a mental tax to be there, and they work so hard, but all of a sudden when you're down 3-1, to one, like a lot of teams are in this series, they just can't dig their claws in and fight out um, like they could in years past. Do I believe it? Partially. I, I like the idea that the bubble has worked in the sense that the uh, teams that are up want to make short work of the teams that they're playing because they know the faster they win series, the quicker they can leave the bubble. I like that carrot working mm. that way, too. Or maybe get one golf day. Right. right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The, We're all the, working for that one golf day. The quicker they win, the more time they have to have a day off and just explore the Tim Hortons mm-hmm. truck. Absolutely true. Uh, Jiggy Jules wants to know, if you had to be quarantined with one NHL team, which one would you pick and why? I'll go ahead and take Vegas off the board. My God, I mean, they have a fun committee. That's all you need to know. They have, they have a committee dedicated to exploring all facets of fun and scheduling movie nights and hanging out on beanbag chairs. And uh, and plus, you know, like you get Nate Schmidt and Marcia So and Ryan Reeves and all those guys there. That's pretty fun. You know, I was thinking about this. I've, I've got two answers. One is the Colorado Avalanche, because I believe that me and Ian Cole could really team up on Zadorov. And I don't like Zadorov <laughs> anymore because after we wrote that article, he, I got a text from Ian that said, uh, ha, 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 just went to breakfast. And Zadorov said that ESPN article is, sorry, Ryan, get ready to bleep. I know. Uh, because we uh, re- uh, railed on his uh, clothing, which I've liked so far. I, I think he missed the point there. Um, <laughs> but I think my answer is the New York Islanders because you don't think they're fun, but you go and you watch those videos of J.G. Pajot winning the ping pong tournament, and I want to go up against him. I think I could beat him. <laughs> I'm pretty good. I used to play you- against myself in my backyard with the one side up. I was going to say, against yourself, I thought you were running back and forth between the two sides of the table, like the flash or something. That's. Oh, no, I'm not that good. But okay. yeah, you know, aftercare was expensive. My parents both worked. You know, you just put out the ping pong table and you just play when you have no friends. Uh, you and I were both latchkey kids, apparently, growing up in Jersey. That's all you need to know. Um, making some Elio's pizza in the, uh, in the oven. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Me and my uh, yeah, we were bagel bites and then like seven bowls of honey bunches of oats with almonds. Oh, yes. Yeah. You got to do it. We love that stuff. Yeah, I was an Elio's pizza kid because really what says latchkey kid better than pizza with uh, about 30% coverage of cheese on top of ketchup, essentially, is what an Elio's pizza mm. was back in the day. Mm. So good. All right, now it's time for our favorite segment of the week. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. No, he does not love to eat hot dogs. 
our weekly look at sad hyperbole and strange narratives of the hockey media. Good one, Randy. Good one. It's Phil Kesselov's Hot Dogs, this segment each week where we take a look at the hyperbole, foibles, mistakes, and uh, just plain ignorance in the hockey media. Uh, Mark James, I believe this cat's name is, is a uh, mm. radio host or something, I don't know, in Boston. He had mm. a very... He had a very uh, attention-grabbing tweet blaming Tukarask for his, quote, cowardly decision to give up, saying he quit on Boston, his coaches, his teammates, himself, hoping that he never saw Tukarask in uh, black and gold again. Um, somebody was going to issue this scorching hot idiotic, idiotic take on Tukarask. Luckily, it was one voice in the wilderness seeking attention. And uh, for the most part, I'd say most of Boston was pretty solid in not going after the goalie who decided to leave the bubble uh, for family reasons after having been forced to return to play in the bubble um, by his employers. So this is an obvious one. I would encourage you to go check out our our friend Marissa and Jemmy's uh, Twitter feed for more information on who Mark is and Maybe, you know, why they shouldn't <laughs> be paying attention to him in the media. But, uh, but yeah, this was dumb. This is stupid dumb. Like, super dumb. Like, the worst, you know, boil down the worst takes you can find in Boston to their bare essence, and then it's Mark James at the bottom of the Bunsen burner. I think our buddy from uh, last week, Pete Blackburn, said it best. It was like, one, his daughter was in the hospital. Two, his daughter was in the hospital. Three, Yaroslav Halak actually played amazing in Game 5. It wasn't his fault. Four, his daughter was in the hospital. Exactly. All right, now it's time for Puck Headlines. Dateline Sunrise. Sunrise, Florida. um, Of course, home to your Florida Panthers, who have a new general manager in Bill Zito. Now, Bill Zito, as many of you know, Someone I have extolled the virtues of for many years as being someone I wanted to see run a team. A lot of teams agreed with me. They interviewed this guy all the time. The Devils interviewed him this year before they uh, they, they uh, decided to keep uh, Tommy Fitzgerald. Um, really interesting guy. Uh, used to be a player agent, became assistant general manager for Columbus, now gets a chance to run his own shop in Florida. And the most interesting thing about him as an executive so far has been his cap management as he takes over a Dale Talon bloated uh, roster uh, <laughs> on a team that probably wants to save a few bucks considering uh, the, the impact of the pandemic and whatever is going to be next year in the arena. But Bill Zito gets his shot, Emily, at being a GM. All I had, all I could think of when he got this job, and I'm like you, I was very happy for him, but like poor Mike Fuda, the last bridesmaid, never the bride. Like these right. were the two assistant GMs that were mentioned for every gosh darn opening. Uh, and I'm glad that he got it. And you know what? I think part of it was him being picky before. Um, and a guy who's been really picky lately, I, I think this is the next guy that's going to be in that realm, Chris Drury from the Rangers. Mm-hmm. Um, he's getting a lot of attention. He's done a lot of great work um, behind the scenes with the Wolfpack, their AHL team. He's going to be a GM one day, but I think it's going to be another four or five interviews before he finally accepts the job. And maybe he's just waiting out Jeff Gordon. Who's to say? It is good to see that the uh, Paul Fenton experiment didn't sour people on hiring uh, high-profile assistant general managers. Mm. In this case, Zito was uh, VP of Hockey Operations, or or one of the two. So here's the thing. Um, 
I'd love to know the backstory on how Chris Drew Reed didn't come into Buffalo and try to save the day. I'd love to know what he was asking for. I'd love to know how that didn't come together. That seemed like that seemed like a, as as natural a fit as Joe Sackick becoming the uh, Colorado GM mm-hmm. or or Steve Eiserman going back to Detroit was was Drew riding into town to save that franchise. Would love one day to know how that didn't happen. Dateline PWHPA. That's your Professional Women's Hockey Players Association. And as fans were wondering where their comment was during all of the Black Lives Matter and uh, standing up against racial injustice and police brutality stuff was happening last week and last weekend, they were kind of silent on it. And you figured out why. Yeah, well, first, um, they apologize for the delay. They realize it's wrong. Um, they, they knew they should have spoke out sooner. And one of the people who was really upset about it was Sarah Nurse, who um, is a rising star in this game, but also one of the few black players in their organization. And she was really pushing them, saying, why aren't you guys doing this? Um, really pushing Liz Knox, a friend of hers. She's on the nine-player board. And Liz Knox said um, she was listening, having these conversations, and decided the right thing to do was to resign from her spot on the board and give Sarah a seat which Sarah said was an incredible gesture of a selfless gesture of allyship. Um, And, you know, I think when they did put out their statement, it was a really good statement, included resources, um, people that you could follow, clubs that you can support. Um, And and I'm looking forward to seeing what they do. They said, you know, they're straddling the line right now between how much um, they want to stand out and how much they need to fit in. Um, But... They're following the leads of, quote, their sisters in the WNBA. And the WNBA has showed that, um, you know, you can have a pretty big voice on social impact issues. Interesting. It's good stuff. Check out uh, Emily's article on ESPN.com detailing a lot more beyond that. It's good stuff. Dateline Pittsburgh. Yins know Mike Sullivan was getting new assistant coaches, and they are Mike Vellucci and Todd Reardon. Todd Reardon going back to where he came from, folks, uh, returning to the Pittsburgh Penguins to oversee their defense as he had during their cup championship years. Uh, Already stirring up some controversy, Emily, as he uh, spoke favorably of the much maligned third uh, pairing defenseman Jack Johnson for the uh, Penguins, which did not sit well with Penguins fans. What what do you want him to do? You want him to show up and be like, hey, the guy who just hired me, he doesn't know what he's doing. Jack Johnson sucks. What is he going to do, honestly? I don't know who needs to hear this, but Jack Johnson isn't going anywhere. Like, he's your problem, Yins. Uh, for better or for worse, <laughs> he's on this team with that cap hit. Um, no, I, I think it's, um, you know, two good hires. Jacques Martin, though, I'm, I'm curious um, how that's going to go over in the locker room because he was so popular. Um, Sergey Gonchar was um, Evgeny Malkin's guy. Um, but Jacques Martin got scooped up pretty quickly. He replaces Lindy Ruff as the defensive guy for the New York Rangers. So there's some fun shuffling in the Northeast. Yeah, a lot of shuffling. Uh, finally, Dateline Con Smythe. All right, so for the purposes of this exercise, we will assume that Dallas and Colorado are both part of the postseason still, more specifically mm-hmm. Colorado, uh, and also Vancouver and, and Vegas. And also the Flyers and the Islanders. Everybody's eligible. Who would be your Conn Smythe favorite right now? Kind of like Nathan McKinnon. I thought so. Scored in every game. 23 points in 13 games is pretty darn good. Pretty, pretty darn good. He literally has a point in every game. That's wild. He's carrying them on his back. What do you got? I got to go. So I'm going to go two places here. For the West, I'd go Miro Heiskanen. 
Um, mm. I think if Dallas eliminates Colorado, and you know statistically they're they're favored to, uh, he is putting together one heck of a case right now um, as far as his play. 18 points in 14 games, setting franchise records for points for defensemen so far. And in the East, you know, I'm Braden Point right now has 18 points in 13 games, including two overtime game winners. So you'd have to say that with Stamkos out. Like, there's going to be a mm. lot of focus on him. But as I said at the beginning of the playoffs, this. of course, Victor Hedman just won a series with an overtime goal. He's playing a bunch mm-hmm. of minutes a night. He played injured the in, the, in, in, in the Columbus series. Like, the whole thing. Yep. And as I said, he's top three for the Norris every season because the writers love him. And who votes for the Conn Smythe? It's the writers. I say Victor Hedman is your Eastern Conference favorite right now for the Conn Smythe if the, if the Lightning end up... Uh, winning this thing but it should be a fun race and we'll probably have a little con smith watch action after this round is completed uh surveying the field um and speaking of completed emily that's the show for this week uh you could read our stuff on espn.com you can listen to my other podcast uh puck soup uh the one where i make uh, i say naughty words that's available on itunes and also there's a patreon for the podcast as well and uh where can people find your genius in a Airbnb in Edmonton, uh, just biding away in my thoughts, watching more Degrassi. Um, but yeah, no, if you guys have any uh, recommendations, it seems I should get the Skip the Door app or whatever. Uh, I got to eat this chicken everyone keeps talking about. That's like the one uh, recommendation that keeps coming up and again. And um, I'm really looking yeah. forward to providing some coverage for y'all. Now, are you are you doing the thing where you're, you're writing on the wall in those slash marks like they do in prison movies to mark your yes. time for yes. two weeks? Okay, just checking. For sure. I, I mean, <laughs> you're talking to me right now. I'm like 16 hours in. I'm pretty lucid. It's going to be <laughs> Just fine. Wait. It's going to be Just great. wait. Just make sure that you, you, you tweet a picture of the, uh, the uh, Carrie Homeland uh, strings between photographs theory that you come up with on day 13 of like how it all ties together. What? I don't know. But you'll find out how it all ties together, I'm sure. Gary Bettman buried <laughs> the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> In a previous life. <laughs> exactly. It makes sense. That's it why he loves parody. Why can't you all see it? Uh, all right. That's the show for this week. Thanks, everybody, for supporting us uh, on iTunes. Uh, please subscribe and leave reviews. We'd love to read them. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Uh, take care, everybody. Bye. 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 This has been ESPN on Ice with Wyshynski and Kaplan. Subscribe to the show in the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts.